0: What we can all do is show a willingness to change. And I'm not talking about simple, superficial change like putting a flag on our cars or refraining from criticizing the administration. The concept I'm talking about is sacrifice. Some people do it for their families. Some people do it to get rock-hard abs. But not many of us seem willing to do it for America. Americans today confuse freedom with not being asked to sacrifice. The fact that you can't have everything you want exactly when you want it has somehow become un-American. We'd rather sacrifice virgins in our SUVs. I'll guzzle as much gas as I want. This isn't Europe. Well, sure you can, Captain America, but just try to imagine a World War II-era American saying, I'll use as much damn gas and tin as I want, and while we're at it, screw your victory garden. They'd call you Axis Asshole. Somehow, America morphed from a nation that embraced rationing to one that practically impeached Jimmy Carter for having the nerve to suggest we turn down the thermostat and put on a sweater. Even in the wake of an event so invasive and frightening as September 11th, not one person in a leadership position in America asked anyone to really give up or rethink anything. Pandering to a spoiled citizenry had become so ingrained, it remained in place even as buildings and complacencies crumbled. Keep shopping, the president told us, letting the political chips fall where they may. Shop till they drop. Yes, we were asked to do very little, and we responded. That's the bargain we tacitly make with our presidents. We won't ask too much of you if you don't ask too much of us especially in these past two decades of unprecedented prosperity, we Americans have come to love win-win situations. Risk-free investments, no-pain dentistry, the high-fat diet. We've grown accustomed to success without effort. In operations like the Gulf War, Somalia, and Yugoslavia, we got the lowdown on our war from the nightly news while continuing to work, golf, build our stock portfolios, and enjoy frazier It's not that we don't care, it's just that we prefer not to get involved. We're more supporters than doers, great at the symbolic stuff like flags, ribbons, and benefit concerts. Hey, sitting through Liza Minnelli is too a sacrifice. Nothing is really our problem, especially when you're talking about an outlay of time or money or, God forbid, something that causes stress— by Thanksgiving 2001, we were right back to how to cope and things to make yourself feel better. After a hard day of stimulating the economy, we congratulated ourselves for getting through this trauma without letting the bastards change the way we live. You hear a lot of that. If we stop bowling or screwing or whatever it is we wanted to keep doing anyway, then they win. And we pretend we're dumb enough to believe that this extends not just to our American virtues, but also to our flaws. We convince ourselves that even our shameless waste, our unchecked consumption, and our appalling ignorance of any place in the world except our own little corner must continue. Or they win! No, when you become smarter and less gluttonous, you win. We all win. And all of us can if we want to have a big hand in winning this war. In World War II, the Axis, the original one, not the cover band working today, had to fight every American, and they knew it. Civilians and the level of support they give their protectors make the difference in wartime. A lesson we learned, or should have, in Vietnam. We'd bomb a bridge, and in hours, the North Vietnamese townspeople had built a crude but usable replacement. It was sheer hell for our guys, because they had to fight the whole country. Likewise, American citizens today could make things a lot more hellish for Al-Qaeda and all the other owls out there, if only we'd get it on a practical level that we're in the war, too, just not on the front lines. Israelis understand that and we eventually will too, but not until our government and our media start helping us make those connections between what we do and how it can help our troops and ourselves stay out of harm's way. When sacrifice was cool Perhaps the most threatening of all the connections we're not making these days is the one between terrorism and one of the great loves of the American life, the automobile. Each of us, in our own individual, high-performance, low-gas-mileage vehicles, exercising our God-given right to drive wherever we want, whenever we want, at zero percent financing and practically no fuel cost, inadvertently supports terrorism. When we don't bother to conserve fuel, and when we treat gasoline as if it were some limitless entitlement, we fund our enemies like a wealthy junkie fattening the wallet of his dealer. Maybe not directly— It's not like you'll find Ayman al-Zahari making your change in the plexiglass booth at the Exxon station. But he may as well be, because you can bet al-Qaeda funds their most ruthless operations with money they get from people who sell their oil to Exxon before Exxon sells it to you. The countries that have the money to offer large cash awards to the families of suicide bombers or to send little boys to madrasas, the prep schools of hate, are getting that money from people using lots of oil. Of course, conserving oil by carpooling may sound like a neat idea, and maybe on some level we get it that we'd have more leverage with these terrorist-funding nations if we weren't beholden to them. But actually doing it means we'd have to drive out of our way to pick somebody up, and that'll take time, and he'll probably want to talk, and I'm not much of a morning person, and what if he spills some of his damn mochaccino on my taupe brushed-leather seats? And there's the rub. We are hopelessly, romantically, singing in the rain in love with our cars. Rather than carpool or improve mass transit to ease traffic and commuting time, we'd rather live in the car and make it more like home. State-of-the-art sound systems, cruise control, telephones, bigger built-in receptacles to hold more food. No wonder Al Gore was ridiculed for suggesting we find a way to phase out the internal combustion engine within 25 years. You'd think he asked everyone to turn in their car keys right then and there, taking away our freedom to come and go as we please and trapping us cruelly in our homes with our spouses. But Gore was right when he said it was a matter of national security. We used to make that connection because the government endorsed it. An original 1943 wartime poster warned Americans, when you ride alone, you ride with Hitler. Oil was regarded as an essential weapon during World War II, and it is certainly no less so today. I chose Ride Alone as the title of this audiobook because it not only pays homage to a time when sacrifice was cool, but also warns us in a larger sense what happens when we ride alone. We've become a nation of individuals, accustomed to getting mine and looking out for number one. Even the Army's recruitment ad shows a soldier running alone and tells you, you'll be an army of one. But we're locked now in a bitter fight for the very way of life that allows us such indulgence, and victory clearly hinges on whether we ignorantly continue to ride alone or rise up once again to stand together. So remember, when you ride alone, you ride with bin Laden, And that's not an easy smell to get out of your car. The kitchen is closed. After September 11th, I never much liked the trend of everyone and his brother wearing the hats and jackets of the NYPD and NYFD. Only the people who do the job should get to wear the hat. Would you wear someone else's Medal of Honor? Yes, it's a tribute, and sincere tribute is always appropriate for these brave people. But wearing their symbols is also rubbing off a piece of heroism that isn't ours. As long as we keep talking about what they did, we don't have to talk about what we're not doing. And one thing we're definitely not doing is paying the people who do the very difficult jobs we don't want to do. According to the Department of Labor Statistics, the national annual income for firefighters in 2000 was 34 grand. For police officers, 37. The Department of Defense statistics on basic pay for an active duty officer in his first two years was about $25,000. Soldiers living on or near the base in America often need to use food stamps to get by. Teachers in their first year make an average salary of $28,000 and often buy classroom supplies out of their own pocket because there just wasn't any money in the budget. No money in the budget. We hear that. Shrug and go on as if it's a cosmically unalterable fact. Corporations do it with their budgets, too. I've seen it in show business. One day, no more coffee and donuts for the crew. The budget didn't allow it anymore. Like the budget was handed down by God himself and brought directly from heaven on a golden chariot by those bastards who pulled their ads from my show, Federal Express. Claiming the budget can't allow it.